Hello and welcome. I'm Professor Rab Houston of the University of St Andrews in Scotland and you're listening to the third of my series of 26 podcasts entitled The Voice of the Mad. Today's podcast is about a woman's description of her mental disorder and her name was Hannah Allen. Her experiences of melancholy were published in a pamphlet of 1683, whose full title shows its primary aim of religious edification. It reads, A narrative of God's gracious dealings with that choice Christian, Mistress Hannah Allen, afterwards married to Mr. Hatt, reciting the great advantages the devil made of her deep melancholy, and the triumphant victories, rich and sovereign graces, God gave her over all his stratagems and devices. The running title of the first edition was Satan's Methods and Malice Baffled. Like George Tross's autobiography, which I dealt with last time, this is a text of spiritual guidance, which nevertheless sheds light on both physical and mental illness. Hannah Allen was born around 1638, the daughter of John Archer of Snellston in Derbyshire. Her father, who was from a family of tanners and tailors, died when Hannah was young and her mother brought her up, as she described it, in the fear of God. Most of the information concerning her life is derived from the pamphlet from which the extract is drawn, a spiritual narrative of melancholy and temptation. In 1650, aged about 12, she was sent to live with her aunt Anne and uncle Samuel Wilson, a merchant, in the parish of St Mary Aldermanbury, London. She went to school there, but, after an illness, decided to return to her mother. This seems to have been the start of her torments, as what she described as the enemy of my soul, in other words, Satan, began a campaign of temptation, casting into her mind horrible, blasphemous thoughts, or so she described them. On the 23rd of December 1654, when she may have been as young as 16, she married Hannibal Allen, a merchant and a widower. She and her husband had at least one child we know about. She was at that time frequently exercised with what she described as temptations and described herself as much inclined to melancholy because her husband was away a lot. Having returned to Snellston in Derbyshire while her husband was overseas, in February 1664, Hannah heard of her husband's death and from this moment she writes of intensified and more dramatic temptations, what we would probably regard as severe psychological impacts resulting from bereavement. At first she was comforted by a minister of religion, her relative by marriage, John Shorthose. 
She also used to write a book I kept for that purpose in shorthand, and a few passages from this book, written in what she called her deep distress during 1663-4, to were published in her 1683 pamphlet. After 26 May 1664, Hannah, as she she uh, later recorded, writ no more, as she became overcome with despair. Her language and condition grew worse than ever. With her condition deteriorating so badly, she was taken to London and lodged with her brother, where she attempted suicide once by taking spiders, one at a time, in a pipe with tobacco and on another occasion by hiding herself under the floorboards so that she would starve to death. She was removed to the house of her kinsman Peter Walker and she's later noted that she was unable to remember much about this period which was the very low point of her melancholy and which preceded her gradual recovery. Hannah stayed with Peter Walker until summer 1665, when, as she was no better, her aunt took her back to Snellston. She seems never to have been in a madhouse of any kind, and her care by family members exemplifies what was normal for comfortably off middle-ranked sufferers like her. After another year of illness, Hannah gradually began to recover, and by Spring 1668 was well again. At that time she married Charles Hatt, another widower then living in Warwickshire, and one that, as she described it, truly fears God. Hannah then wrote her narrative, the one that is published and that I drew this extract from, describing her spiritual trajectory from intensifying temptation through despair, she wrote, I was persuaded I had sinned, the unpardonable sin. And then on from that to eventual recovery of faith, health and mental calm. The way she wrote, retrospective but incorporating written fragments from the time of her collapse and the nature of the temptations, as she called them, to which she was subject, as well as the cures proposed by relations, indicate a narrative of madness and depression, as well as one of religious belief. Concentrated and very painful, her open account accepted that she had been mentally and physically ill. She wrote simply to explain what it had been like and to help others like her. Now some authorities regard part of her condition as an early example of anorexia nervosa, though the condition was not formally diagnosed as such until the early 19th century. Most clinicians diagnosing her retrospectively believe she suffered simply from severe depression, which manifests itself in feelings of fear, worthlessness and hopelessness. It can shade into delusion and affect physical health, including sleep, rather prominently in her case appetite, and even the willingness or ability to move. 
Hannah's language of distraction was saturated with religious images. This doesn't mean that madness was construed solely in religious terms. It was simply that everyone used religious reference points, such as damnation and salvation, making these images an easy and clear way to explain what one was thinking or feeling. That they borrowed from standard religious language in no way detracts from the intense individualism that comes out of Hannah's narrative, or indeed her awareness that there was a somatic as well as a spiritual dimension to her experience. So Hannah Allen certainly saw things in religious terms, but she's always careful to distinguish the separate, if connected, medical and spiritual problems she experienced. She was clear that her despair about salvation came out of her physical condition, not vice versa. Religious observances, when she could bear them, were a sign that she was on the mend and able to re-enter normal society. Participating in communal worship or visiting family and neighbours were both an aid to and a sign of recovery. Indeed, Hannah saw her recovery not only in terms of her personal health, but also her ability to interact socially with family and friends. She seems to have had mostly spiritual or psychological counselling, and the medical interventions she mentions in the extracts are rare elsewhere in her narrative. While Mr Shorthose was a clergyman, he was not unusual in being knowledgeable about medicine. Most educated people of this period were polymaths. Both George Tross and Hannah Allen were quite open about their mental health, sometimes strikingly so. In contrast, next week's writings come from the pen of a publisher called Alexander Cruden. Cruden utterly rejected the label of madness in favour of a narrative of persecution. He is an interesting and rather unusual character, so I hope you'll join me as I explain the passage which you can look at now on the website in next week's podcast. Thanks for joining me.